Big Business Briefs with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And for our discussion this week, we're talking about the 90-day retention rule. And this was prompted by an article that I saw in the Wall Street Journal, um, but then failed to read. Because it was behind a a paywall. Behind a paywall, yeah. So, um, as always, I was too mean to buy a subscription. Sorry, Wall Street Journal. But I did find out some information around it and a number of other articles that referenced it. So, did you pay to read the Wall Street Journal? No, I didn't. I did a similar thing. But I'll tell you what I did do, and thank goodness I double-checked that article because I just Googled 90-day retention rule and it, there was lots of stuff about contracts. Oh, right, okay. Like, legally binding. And I was like, oh, was this what... Oh, Is this no. what Tracy wanted yeah, to talk and, about? So I could have just researched the, the whole wrong thing. Okay, so the reason, the other reason this caught my eye was um, that it, it's about retention and recruitment and obviously something that is a, a big issue for a lot of companies at the moment. And... Research shows that newer hires are more likely to stay longer term and they class longer term as at least a year, which yeah. doesn't seem very long term to Not, me. But, actually, but by today's yeah. standards, yeah. Um, if they don't quit within three months, i.e. 90 days. And so the article is all about why this is important and the, the companies that have looked at it. And I went a little bit further and looked at some of the strategies that you can use to try and keep your employees beyond the 90 days and then hopefully for a little bit longer. Okay, before we do that, so one thing, as I was reading this, one thing that was in my mind, and you know how st- statistics can be ni- manipulated to say what, to you, say want. what you want them yeah. to say. So... A lot of roles have a three-month probationary period. Yeah. Okay. So there'll be some people who leave within that probationary period that could skew the figures anyway. Yeah, because because if they've stayed three months, but then they're politely asked to move on. Yeah. That. But so it's just interesting that if if it said. the first 12 months, for argument's sake, and that there was evidence to suggest that if you invest heavily in the first 12 months, people are more likely to stay three years, for argument's sake. Yeah. But it, I was just in my mind, I was just all the time thinking, yeah, but the three-month probationary period, it is a period of time, and that I, there's a potential that that could skew the data. And then when I looked further as to where the article had come from, there is some point of reference from an organisation that can help you to max the benefits and things that you put in place during the first 90 days. All right, so, so there's a bit of interest. Lit, just a little bit, but but it's an interesting, it's a very interesting um, story. So what are the types of things that we could be doing? So um, obviously you could shower them with money. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's uh, the um, obvious one. Um, McDonald's, Wendy's, apparently that's an American. Um, oh, have you never had a Wendy burger? I've never had a Wendy's, no. Oh. Um, and they're offering extra money. The square. They used square, to be square burgers. Yeah. Square oh. burger, yeah. Anyway, okay. No, I've really never had one. Um, I'm not a big burger eater anyway. Well, you're veggie, aren't you? So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, extra money is one. Yeah. But also, the, the things that I was particularly interested in is the onboarding process and how you actually get the new starter to feel part of the company yeah. and get them engaged and get them motivated to want to stay. Uh, that that was the thing that appealed to me more, and that's what sort of some of the threads that I pulled on the stories around this that I was 
actually finding quite useful for my own workplace. Yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot to be said for induction, onboarding, whatever you want to call it these days, because people used to, once upon a time, you know, um, the most that somebody could hope for would be that they've got a desk and a pen pot and a bin and a notepad and a pen, you know, and that was like, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we were expecting you, welcome, maybe a bunch of daffs on the desk, Yeah. right, get stuck in. Actually, it's much more than that, isn't it? Getting embedded into the organisation. Yeah. And reading some other research, I think this is from Forbes, it said that 93% of employers state that a good onboarding process is vital to employee retention. Yet, still 30% of employees churn within the first 90 days. So even though they're focusing on a good onboarding process, what is it that they're missing? Do they need to look a bit broader? Do they need to do it a bit longer? And some of the articles I've read are saying that onboarding shouldn't just be this one-time thing. Yeah. So don't just think about the first day. Or even, as you say, not just that... Because your aim isn't to just get them to stay three three months, is it? No. You do want them to stay longer. Um, so it, I think, personally, it should go beyond the three months as well. So they, they talk in one article I was reading... Um, Five Steps How to Create an Onboarding Process. And it talks about five steps. So you start really with the onboarding and the engagement at the recruitment stage. Part of it is getting them in and engaged with you while you're recruiting. Then pre-boarding, so before they even start. Then the onboarding process and training and evaluation. And I think the onboarding process as well is seeing that it's about checking in with them again on a regular basis, making mm-hmm. sure that everything is going all right and and reviewing the onboarding process, reviewing the inductions they've had and, and really giving them quite a lot of attention right at the early stages. Yeah, so that they're spreading it out a bit as yeah, they've been so they, a bit longer. But but the statistic that you just quoted is that thirty percent of people don't stay the three months. So again If the job's not right, a probationary period is as much an opportunity for an employee to decide whether they like the job as it is for the employer to decide whether they like the employee. Yeah. And it could just be that that is quite natural. That people just go, actually, I've given it a reasonable amount of time and it's not it's not for me. Um, Now, whether that's because not a good enough job was done in sifting out the people who are genuinely interested in working in the organisation and are bought into yeah. the whole job in the recruiting and the pre-boarding before the even the onboard before the offer's even been made. I don't know, but yeah. So in in those early stages, even in recruitment stage, you sort of have to make it very clear what the job is going to be, yeah. so that you you're matching expectations with reality. Yeah. If you get that wrong, if you're just trying to to paint an, an image of something that isn't reality at that recruitment stage, it's never going to go right from onboarding stage. No, the the crisis at the moment in terms of placing people, as we know, is 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 massive. But um, I'm I was involved with some recruitment recently, three different posts. So we made an offer to one person. They were absolutely cockahoop, lovely. Um, we got two people in. Two, these are three different roles in the same organisation. Two people in. We said, why don't you come and do a taster? Because we weren't completely sure about them. And both of them declined based on the taster. Now, that's not anything, I don't think that's anything to do with the organisation. I think it's to do with what they thought they were going to be getting. Yeah. Right? So that we need to learn a lesson there. Um, one person, 
I think it was beneath them yeah. to come and do the role that they'd applied for. And it may be that they were just like applying for anything. But out of those three posts, finally, then the third person who had accepted then came back and said that they thought about it, actually working the number of hours that we wanted wasn't going to fit in with their domestic arrangements. And so they withdrew their their acceptance of the post. So sometimes it's the reality of, you know, when you go, rah, rah, I got the job. And then you go, oh, my God, i got to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> and real life. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you know, that, that first three months is key. But anyway, that said, um, as you say, it's not about um, just chucking money at it. No, and I was reading um, in, in the same article that talks about the five steps. It, it says that part of that whole experience of onboarding which starts at recruiting, mm. is about building the sense of identity and belonging. And really that's what you want for the people that have been there for ages as well. So I think if you, if you learn that for recruitment and um, and onboarding, you really got to make sure that, that also persists for your the, longer yes. service employees. Because yeah. if they don't feel like they belong and, and, and they identify with the company, then you're going to lose them from that end, aren't you? Well, yeah, because they'll feel... you're putting all that effort in the new starters, but then you just leave them to wither and die on the vine. Well, it's it's the classic new customers only, isn't it? Yeah. Which, you know, isn't helpful. <laughs> and that's the other issue with throwing money at it, isn't it? So you've got the, the people there who've been really loyal to you and they've st- you know stayed with you, yeah. and then you throw money at the new starters and then all this love and care and attention. Oh, what the ones that what have been else? there 10 years going yeah. to think? Yeah. yeah. So you've really got to think that through. The the article, it seems, was born out of um, an article, an advertorial by a company called Hecker or Hika. And they were talking about some of the things that you might do. Um, and they um, they offer all sorts of well-being facilities. Yeah. So some of the types of things um, that people picked that they appreciated was uh, learning a new language Um health meal deliveries, mental health consultations, uh, fitness testing, um, group exercise. Um, So it very much depends on who you are and where you fit within the picture. But it's not, we've gone beyond, um, we say it all the time, free fruit on Friday or, you know, an early dart on a a A bank holiday. It's a bit more sophisticated than that, yeah. I think all those things you're talking about there are paying attention to the four pillars of well-being, aren't they? Yeah. So you've got to pay them enough to be financially well. You've got to look after their physical health, their mental health, but also an important part of it is the social well-being. And I think that's one of the things that went amiss, particularly during uh, lockdowns and COVID, is people really miss that social interaction. And some of that hasn't come back either, has it? It's a massive thing. And everybody, almost everybody that I talk to, they have, they still have differing views as to whether it's the right, whether homeworking is the right thing or the wrong thing. But people are almost demanding some sort of flexible working, whereas pre-COVID, you'd have to put in a flexible working request yeah. and for it to be considered and or refused if it wasn't appropriate whereas now it's almost like it's really difficult because you told me to work from home every day and I delivered and now you're telling me I can't work from home yeah two days a week you can't have it both ways no because you might have said to all of the existing staff right you're back in the office and now the people who are joining who 
are more discerning and looking for that flexibility and all of the different benefits, it, it, it's a powder keg, isn't it? It has the potential to be really, really good, but it also has the potential to, to um, shoot people in the, in the foot. I found another interesting statistic. I don't know if you came across this one. This was from Forbes. And it's the cost of replacing an employee. Oh, go on. So they, they say that it can range anywhere from 50% of the salary of an entry-level employee okay. to more than 200% of the salary of a senior executive. Wow. So when, when you're weighing up how much time and effort you're putting into your recruitment mm. and onboarding and training and engagement programs just add up the cost of mm. replacing them mm. that 50 to 200 percent yeah so it's cheaper cheaper to try and get it right yes yeah and yeah. keep it keep it right not yeah. get it right for 90 days yeah and so if you just increase your retention reduce your staff turnover just by a few you're going to save yourself yeah. thousands. Yeah. It's really, really worth it. And then I think as well, one of the other things that companies with high turnover suffer from is it will affect the engagement of the existing employees that are there. Because yeah. they see these people coming and going. And part of it will be thinking, well, they're going off to something better. Yeah. But also the stress of dealing with new employees as well and training them and bringing them on board, wondering how long they'll stay, you know, and then they wave them off again. And it can really drag down the the longer serving employees. With well, it. Yeah, particularly if you're getting them to help with the onboarding process. So, you know, you're going to shadow me until you learn the job. And I'm thinking, I could just do it quicker. Why Why yeah. have I got to invest my time in showing Tracy how to do it? Because she'll probably... She'll be gone in three months. Yeah, and then I'll have to do it all again. So it could be very demotivating. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, yes, they're leaving to go to something more shiny. But also, for some of us, it might be, am I an idiot staying here? What am I missing? Exactly. Yeah. I, you know, should I really... Am I being a, a mug? Um, and what could I demand? And what could I reasonably expect? Yeah. Mm. So, Interesting. yeah, so 90 day retention plan, but also um, I like taking on board the idea of this continuous and longer term process. Yeah. So from recruitment, pre-boarding, onboarding, boarding, training and evaluating and expecting it to take much longer than a month. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Keep on checking in and also applying it to your existing employees. Right. A review. We set ourselves a bit of a challenge with this review. Yeah. Did you dive in? Well, um, do you know what I struggled with? Actually getting, well, not getting sight. Oh, I was getting annoyed because when I, I wanted to look at the list, right, that's I basically, I'm not interested in how many years this has been going on. I wanted to look at this list. And so then I got a little bit carried away with the fact that I couldn't print it <laughs> in the way that I wanted. But anyway, tell us what. You can't print it, but you can go into the metaverse and interact with it, Heather. I, I mean, know. why would you want to print it when you can go into the metaverse? Because look, I just wanted, I just wanted. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I've got to have. I've had it as PDF. Anyway, it makes it sound like I went into the metaverse and, and I experienced won't be, it. Won't be the first time. I'm sure, it won't be the last time. What is the list that we're talking about? It is J.P. Morgan's summer reading list, and it is their twenty third, twenty third annual summer reading list. And they ask for input from advisors worldwide. So they submit their lists and then it gets called and reviewed. And then they send it out based on what they think will appeal 
to JP Morgan's global client base. Now, all I can say is I think JP Morgan's client base have got more money than me. (laughs) (laughs) Which which isn't a stretch of the imagination. Right, so let me talk about Metaverse first because I failed with Metaverse. So this year is the first time they've employed the use of the Metaverse. And for a limited time, apparently, visitors can explore a virtual library in this metaverse where you can create an avatar and learn about the books and view interviews and select authors and interact with a scholarly owl and answer trivia questions about the books. Why did I not find all of that? I really don't know. That was in the press release from JP Morgan about their reading list. Okay, okay. So um, it's in something called Decentraland, So I followed the link. I did the very annoying process of creating an avatar. It started off being (laughs) fun, and then by the end of it, I was really fed up. And then I couldn't get in. So then there's that part of me that's frustrated, and then the other part of me thinking, maybe they don't want me here. (laughs) Oh, what, they've they've done a quick credit check on you, (laughs) and you're not wealthy enough. Yeah, she reckons, oh, you've just clicked the link. So she reckons she can't afford these books. Uh, no, yeah. maybe they did that, but okay. Yeah, so I am just now. So you can sign in and have an account. Apparently, yeah. you earn coin. I tried to play as a guest, okay, because uh, that's free. <laughs> okay, and I don't have an account with Decentraland. Uh, and okay. then it's going to start playing some twinkly music and ask you to create an avatar. Okay. I uh, yes, I didn't go here. I literally took it at face value as being a list of books. That I might want to read through the summer. I don't know why I did that because it's called the J.P. Morgan Summer Reading List. Yeah, I would say <laughs> that's probably uh, a good idea because that's what I ended up doing yeah. anyway. But I thought I, I should explore the metaverse. This is, I will say, my first experience of the metaverse, and it wasn't a good one. No, because you couldn't get in. So it's just proved me right that the metaverse is rubbish, and it's not for me. <laughs> anyway, so there were Yet. a list. Yes. 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 Roll forward six months, and we'll be talking all about the metaverse and how it's great for business. Okay. And I'm sure it is. I'm not quite there yet. No. So I had a, a, a read of probably the same details as you, which is blurbs about the book, yeah. and then I went to see how much they cost, and particularly the ones that I like the look of. Okay. So I highlighted the ones that I thought, yep, yeah, I think I would get those. And then I made a note of, uh, largely the art of the, <laughs> the notes I made next to them were, ooh, this is only a hardcover. This costs this much. And I think it's more of a coffee table book than a beach book for me. Okay. So I found that with a few. Do you want to start with, did, did you pick any out there that you would want to read? Yeah, well, yes, all ones that I thought were interesting, but I haven't looked at the, the price and whether it's, you know, a great big hardback book that you wouldn't want to put in your um, hand luggage. But um, I, the first one that I was the first one on the list, actually, which was CEO Excellence, the six mindsets that distinguish the best leaders from the rest. Um, this was this was produced by um, McKinsey uh, and starts to look at, from research, what are the... Oh, the music started on that thing there, look. <laughs> You've got to create your uh, avatar. How do I make it go away? I don't even know where it is now on here. <laughs> Heather's interaction with the metaphors. Is it in Chrome? No. Where is it? Right. 
Is it in edge? Right, I'll just turn the music off somehow. Yeah, just mute just... Look, go on. You're expecting us to cope with the metaverse, JP Morgan. Heather can't even turn the sound off on Sorry, a computer. Sorry, I was all a bit, all a bit of tears. I was like, am I, what, am I, am I on Zoom? Am I on... Where Do you know what's going to happen now? You'll be talking and you'll get sucked into the computer. And like a... Ooh, into the metaverse. Into the metaverse. And then I'll be hammering on the other side of the screen. And I'll just close the lid on the laptop and walk away. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, that might be the sort of thing that um, some of these CEOs do. Okay. Yeah, sorry. So you're talking about <laughs> CEO excellence. Yes. And I think when we were, for the podcast, we've um, profiling business leaders and business gurus, this would have been a great resource for us. Yeah. 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 I mean... It's not, it's not that this hasn't been done 50,000 times before. It's just, I don't know, I suppose McKinsey would have access to perhaps some more meaty people than, um, that, you know, than are readily available because they've actually interviewed them. It's yeah. not just their view of how they've achieved. So I think that's um, that in itself is quite interesting. What I liked is the, the very last uh, clause in, in the paragraph introducing it, saying that you can model yourself on the very best. So this is very much about um, laying out some role models yeah. th- that you can um, you can base yourself on. How much is this book? I didn't look up this one because it oh. wasn't on my list. Oh, okay. So which, okay, so what did you go for? Okay, let's scroll down. So the first one was a no-brainer, um, the power of regret, how looking backwards moves us forward. Yeah. Purely on the basis that it's by Daniel Pink. Yes. And he challenges in this book to accept regrets as fundamental and to treat them as a creative way to help us to live more fulfilling lives. Not particularly that I feel I need to work on my regrets, but just that I know that Daniel Pink writes a good book. Yeah. yeah. And this one wasn't too expensive, actually. thirteen twenty five currently in hardcover. So that was the first on my list. Okay. All right. What else have you got on your so list? So the second one that I went to, going through the list in order, was Being Present. Okay, that atten- almost made mine, but it didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Commanding Attention at Work and at Home by Managing Your Social Presence. Um, written by Janine Turner and um, this is about getting away from all of the distractions particularly the digital distractions that that get in the way of us being present now I know we talk a lot about you know having rules about probably no phones at the table or things like that but this is more than that because actually to get away from all this digitalness is almost impossible in fact, we were just talking about um, like the idea of going away somewhere for a few days. So I've booked to go away somewhere for a few days, but I wasn't prepared to go completely off grid. Okay. I found Wait, that when a you bit described it, I thought you were going somewhere without any signal or Wi Fi. No, I, it's, there is Wi. There's Wi Fi and mobile phone signal. Okay. But because I wasn't brave enough, and this is just this just goes to demonstrate how this has just got into our DNA. Yeah, the idea of going completely off grid for three days was too much for me to. So, yeah, this. I mean, this book isn't just about sort of taking yourself off grid and going going to live in a cave somewhere. No, uh, I, th- I think it's more. It, it says communicate more effectively. Yeah, and the key word for me is intentionally. Yes, it's making the decision 
that you're going to communicate in this analog sort of way rather yeah. than a digital way. And, and I can see why it would appeal to you as a book, because obviously you're a communication specialist. So I'm sure you, you could pick up some little gems and there to yeah. use in the training that you do. And unless you tell me this is 75 quid. I didn't look this up. It didn't make my right. list. Okay. okay. It's not on your list. Okay. So shall I take it, it to is the next one, one? It is one that I would certainly consider buying. Okay. Okay. And reading. <laughs> not just buying not just buying Go so on, what's next for you so for me i i'm wondering if this is on your list fixed how to perfect the fine art of problem solving yeah. by amy e herman yes this is currently only in hard copy and it's 25 pounds and this was the first one where i wrote the notes more coffee table than beach for me yeah <clears throat> okay and she's got quite a, a back catalogue and I actually made a note of a, a book that I was going to get by her called This Visual Intelligence Sharp. Oh, sorry, it's not called this. I wrote this as in oh. point, pointing myself to it. Visual Intelligence, Sharpen Your Perception, Change Your Life. And I thought, okay, that's one of hers that's been out for a little while. The reviews are really good on it. And so I would definitely buy that one. And with Fixed, um, I would potentially wait until there's maybe a... Um, paperback paperback yes. version so what she does with this book is she uses art to challenge our default thinking encourages to open our minds to see possibilities we may otherwise overlook and she's saying that no matter the problem scale or complexity you can use this perspective that she gives to approach any issue and i think that sounds quite really interesting, interesting because yeah. it's sort of tapping it i think i haven't read the book but i think it's tapping into this the unconscious mind when approaching something but expressing it through creativity yeah and clearly the stuff that she she does is effective because she's she's led sessions for the fbi and the french national police and interpol on how to solve difficult problems so and clearly there's something that works in what she does there. Yeah, and and and, and it also says that in those organisations, failure is has the potential to be catastrophic. It's yeah, not just a, death. Yeah, yeah, we got it wrong. Let you know, let's what would we do differently next time? It's like we really can't afford to get it wrong. Yeah. So let's and and of course, you know, there are tried and tested you know, old, old theories about how to fix problems, how to solve problems, how to look at but actually it's it's been a while since new stuff that's actually different rather than just the same stuff regurgitated has come to the fore so i think it would be quite interesting yeah. to see what this actually looks like in reality yeah and it would be one of those books where i'd really like to read it now over the summer but i don't want a hard copy i don't want a hard no. cover book in the in my Luggage. luggage, yeah. No, I, no. So I should potentially buy that in the autumn and maybe wait for the paperback. Yeah. Um, but I will look at Visual Intelligence by Amy as well, yeah. and, and that is available in paperback at the moment. What's next on your list? Um, that was. Oh no, hang on. Did I go back up? No, CEO I've got two more. Then. Being present, the power of regret and fix. Okay. Go on. What you so got? this one is is led by my love of a particular film. Um, my Neighbour Totoro, and this is the book about the work of Hayao Miyazaki, who's, who's done a lot of Japanese anime and quite famous 
uh, but I only really know uh, my neighbour Totoro. Oh, look, there's a picture of it. I love that. And and this is definitely a coffee table book. It's got illustrations and they're beautiful, really are beautiful. And something that I would like to sit on my coffee table that I can flick through and really enjoy the beauty of it, as well as uh, understanding the, the creative process and the storytelling techniques. But it's £40, so it's definitely not a beach book for me. No. Okay. So I think summer reading, if you're a JP Morgan client, involves nice coffee tables and big books. Or um, business class or first class travel where there's uh, no limit on how much luggage you can take. Oh, an excellent idea. I'll take that, please, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that that was another. And I had one more, okay. um, which was Greek Myths by Gustav Schwab. It's stunning. I love the look of this one. I had a look inside it on one that famous online website. They do a little bit of a, a preview inside it. It's £30. It's hardcover. And it's 47 stories based on Greek myths, but reimagined for modern times. That okay. really, really appeals to me. So, and it's looking at, I mean, most, most of these stories are looking at the human condition. It's like Shakespeare. It's so relatable to modern times because fundamentally the stories are about humans and we haven't really changed much no, in a long no. time. It, it didn't stand out for me, but, but just even hearing you describe it, even though the text is there, it has added appeal. Um, but I have to admit... I, I, this is my unconscious bias. I just see Greek myths and I go, oh, God, school. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, at the age at which you're looking at it at school, you're kind of like, what? what? This is all, why can't we just make this, streamline this? Why yeah. does it all need to be oldie, fashioned-y nonsense? You know, but actually you're quite right. Yeah. It's the story of, they are, they're the stories of man, aren't they? And yeah. So the the foibles of the human condition, it says, um, from the courage of Perseus and the ambition of Icarus to Midas's greed. So we know yeah. those stories, yeah. And bring them into modern day. Why not? Because yeah. we still have those foibles. Yeah, totally. So that's that. That was it. That was my list. Yeah. Um, I can't afford to buy them all. No. But not at the moment, but I've definitely put them on my wish list to keep a look out, for. Keep an eye out yeah. for. And I think just on the list itself, that is not what you would normally expect of a summer reading list produced by JP Morgan to look like. It, it's really nice and diverse, mix, isn't yeah, it? it is. Yeah, 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 there is. So um, I, I think they're. Um, global client base although richer than me actually i think that we have might have some areas where we intersect yeah 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 in that in that uh, venn diagram yeah there's a very slight <laughs> a thin sliver where the paperback is available we're uh, we're up for it so thank you for finding that because i, I genuinely think it, it it was a surprise for the types of books that that were on it i didn't expect there to be as you say, such a diverse mix. So, review. Yeah. No, not review. Profile. No, profile. And the reason why I've got is because... This is a review. <laughs> yeah, because we're profiling a company that helps businesses to gather satisfaction and trust from reviews 
of, of their customers. So it's Trustpilot. Okay. And Trustpilot's I... website, but it's slightly more succinctly than that. Yeah. But I was, I was trying to justify why I'd said the wrong thing when basically <laughs> I just misspoke it. So Trustpilot was founded in 2007. And it is a digital platform, as they say on their website, bringing businesses and consumers together. And they talk about fostering trust and inspiring collaboration. But ultimately, they host reviews and consumers can share their experiences and give the opportunity for businesses to respond to them and to um, to um, actually use that to improve their customer experience, yeah. one would hope. Have you ever given a Trustpilot review? No, I haven't. No. Have you? This, Yeah, this came to... This specifically, although I'd heard of it, specifically specifically stood out to me because I've been seeing um, uh, an osteopath. And so it's a sole trader, osteopath. And they send a link to you after your appointment asking you to just click and leave a rating on Trustpilot. Okay. Um, and, so and did you do that then? Yes, yeah, because it was so easy. Because it's you didn't. I didn't have to leave a comment. I could just do a, a rating. Did you do it from your phone? Yes. Great. So it, an email comes. Oh, yeah, they're the ones that put me off where there's a big blank space and you have to fill it in. Yeah, go, oh, so I haven't got that. time for that. But I'll give, you, I'll give you some stars or a comment. But then if I were motivated to complain, okay, I might be more likely to write something. Or I've never seen an osteopath before, so I could only comment on my knowledge of this particular osteopath. If I'd got a comparison, I could think, actually, not that good, and this is why. So it's... Yeah. Um, or brilliant. And or this brilliant, and this is why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, their headquarters is in Copenhagen, but yeah. they've also got offices in London, New York, Denver, Vilnius, Berlin, Melbourne, and Edinburgh. And they are currently hiring, Heather. Oh, are they? They've got 105 vacancies on their website at the moment. Blimey. So do you know what I did? Did you apply for a job? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went to Glassdoor to see how people had reviewed Trustpilot as an employer. Oh, nice. Uh, and... Oh, you see, you're so good at joining all of this up. I don't have that ability. <laughs> I just thought, wouldn't it be funny to review the the review company? Actually, um, th there was a, a, a real mixture of reviews on there. Nothing that really stood out as being horrendous. Um, Did they manage to retain people beyond 90 days? <laughs> they didn't mention that, but I think the people who didn't <clears throat> enjoy the experience, there were some mentions of the onboarding process and managers not um, training new, new um, employees up very well. So. That That's interesting. Links in nicely. And I wonder where the whether some of the people who were working for them were onboarded during COVID. Yeah. And so then, you know, because we've had two years mm. where the onboarding process could be a bit challenging if you're working in an industry where it's mostly going to be desk based. Yeah. And it can, data driven. I can imagine that quite a lot of this could be desk based. You're looking at the types of jobs that are either IT jobs or business development jobs. Mm. There, there mm. were the large number of the 105 that were available all around the world, by the way. Lots of, lots of different interesting roles if you're into IT or business development. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the company was, was founded by a guy called Peter Holton Moorman, 
Um, and he said that he started it to give consumers a powerful voice and all companies, regardless of their size, a way to listen, respond and continually improve. So this is where um, it's, it's accessible to everybody. And I think that's the thing. So whether you are a sole trader um, or whether you're a huge multinational organisation, so it's because it's not that easy to capture data if you're just a small business. Yeah. It's it's really hard to get quantitative data. Yeah, so if your chiropractor, osteopath, sorry, osteopath, had sent yeah. you an email just saying, can you tell me what you thought of that? And it just went, was an email and, or even a, a forms, a Microsoft forms thing to yes. fill out. It wouldn't have had the same... No. Gravitas, so the same sense of confidentiality to it as well, as if yeah. you'd done it through this third party. Yeah, or I think anonymity. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you want to put your name and, you know, a, a, a comment, a disparaging comment, at least the individual has the right of reply or, or yeah. control over the information. So apparently, according to figures on the website, um, as at the 31st of December 2020, so they're in need of a little bit of an update, Yeah. Um, but at that point there were over 120 million reviews on Trustpilot, yeah. and they had got 669 employees then, Yeah. and they um, span over 47 different nationalities, and... 6.9 billion monthly impressions on their trust box widgets. I didn't delve into what they were, no. but it was a big number. Yeah, I, I went, um, so that, that's a, an infographic, isn't it? But I went to Companies House and started to look at their annual report. Oh, you know, I didn't go into Companies House for once. It's unusual, time. isn't yeah, it, to it is. you? Um, and one of the most interesting things, so a lot of, a lot of those stats, um, uh, are quoted in 2020 they had a 30% increase in revenue um, but trustpilot.com also became one of the top 25 most visited websites in the UK according to Alexa traffic rankings one of the top 25 most visited websites wow that's a hell of a thing yeah isn't it yeah isn't I, how I'm many just... gazillions in, in, in the UK so so I I don't know whether, and this was pre, well, this was December 2020. Yes. So midst, in the midst of, of um, in the midst of COVID? Yeah. Yeah, it well, was, yeah, yeah, 2021, yeah. yeah. You lost um, track of time. But yeah, I had a little bit then for a minute. But yeah, so that's quite a big thing. And whether that was because during that time, um, people had a lot of time on their hands to be reviewing things, I don't know. <laughs> um but their global ranking, um, they are now in the top 1% of the most visited websites in the world. Wow. So this is a significant, uh, and, and I think it's because it's not specific to any business sector. Yeah. It's everything across the board. And I think, like you said, the, the really good thing about it is that it doesn't matter how big you are because they have a free plan as well as their standard plan. And some customizations that yeah. you can do as well. Yeah. So uh, I had a quick look at, at the pricing. I can see you've got the same there as yeah. well. So for um, zero pounds, you can claim your profile page. So somebody could, I guess, write a review about you before you've claimed it. Yeah. And that, I would say, if you were a business owner and somebody was writing reviews about you, the first thing you really want to do is 
even if it's a bad review, it's getting there and take ownership of it yes. so you can yeah. respond. Yeah. Um, but even with the free plan, you can invite customer reviews Which like your osteopath did yeah, yeah. and receive support. And you get basic reports, two trust box wid- widgets. I don't know what don't trust box are. widgets no. are, but you get two. And drive Google seller ratings. Again, I don't know a lot about that. Um, you get quite a bit more, but the standard plan is quite a bit more. So yeah. I think you have to be... Uh, a, a bigger business to want to do this because this is 200 well 199 pounds a month and you pay it annually yes. as well so that's quite a big amount up front yeah. but if your business is is really seeing the benefits of this then you'd be able to to justify that figure wouldn't you if you've got vo- i would think if you've got volume customers you know high volume organization who would rely on reviews yeah. you know how many people go to amazon and look at the reviews before they buy something similar sort of websites like that. Yeah. If you do the same with Trustpilot for something that you're thinking of purchasing, and I went online and had a look at Shine. Oh, yeah, go and on. You, and you know what we said about it seems like Marmite, you either yeah. love it or you hate it. Take a look at that graphic there. 49% excellent, 32% bad, with a few in the middle. Yes. It's like you like either love it yeah. or you hate it. Yeah, and it's not most poor, equally. It's because poor is only 5%. It's actively bad. bad. Excellent or, or bad. bad. That's And that's pretty much what we said yeah. when we were doing the research. Yeah, yeah. But you can look at that. You can read some reviews on it. You, you can even see tags, whether it's about quality or item or delivery or price or whatever it is. Uh, and you can decide which of those reviews are important to you or not. Yeah. Good, eh? Interesting, yeah. So Shine get a trust pilot rating of 3.7, but actually that tells you nothing until you dig into it. Yes. Because that would suggest that it's fairly average, but, it, but it's but not. not. It's, yeah, the, it's, it's, got it's two extremes. the extremes, yes, yeah. yeah. Well, that does go back a little bit to, and we said this in the past, you know, if you look at Amazon and you are looking at reviews, or anywhere really, if you, if it's, um, what's the what's the travel one that you go and look at? Uh TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor, that's it. You know, you kind of have to forget the five stars and forget the one stars and look at the bulk of people in the middle who are sort of like three, four, two. Yeah. So you'll, you'll get a broader picture. But that actually bucks the trend massively, doesn't it? Yeah, really yeah. does. Yeah, because you, yeah. You want to read If you look at the it. top, you'll go, yeah. Yeah, because I think if you look at the bad ones and you go, you know what, what you think is really bad, I'm not that bothered about. Yeah. So if you aren't bothered about that... Fast fashion, and, yeah, yeah, and working conditions and, and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Then you go, all right, I'm actually just interested in really cheap, Value, fashionable yeah. clothes. So Delivered quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that I can return if I don't like it. Yeah. yeah. So I found another good resource as well. I, I can't connect to it now because for some reason I can't get onto your internet. But fortunately, save the website. It says, can you trust the reviews on Trustpilot? And it talks you through how to understand Ah. the reviews on Trustpilot. So this is on elegantthemes.com and they've got a blog in the business section. What is Trustpilot and can you trust their reviews? And if I remember rightly, Elegant Themes is a a resource for website themes. Yeah, that's that's seemed... Because I think I might have bought my first ever website theme from Elegant Themes. Yeah, so they've got... 
stuff in there, resources for people who are building websites. And obviously, you can have Trustpilot widgets. Yeah. And you can actually yeah. enter, you can show Trustpilot reviews on your website. So it makes sense that they've got an article about it. It's really detailed. And I thought it went into a lot of um, good description of you know, what that bit for, what that review's for, and how you can use it. So take a look at Elegant Themes if you're thinking of using it for your business. And presumably there, they might explain a little bit about what a trust box widget is. Yeah, hopefully. And then I, I found another article. Um, so, sorry, no, this is on Trustpilot's own website. It says, how does the business model work? Um, and that's where they've got the stuff about the um, the pricing. So they've got this free product and the paid for product, like we said. And apparently there's, an also, uh, there's quite a lot of automation that can go on with it. So I think if you really go full in with Trustpilot, you can actually include it as part of your marketing plan. Right. So actually utilise that continued interaction with your customers. Well, I wouldn't be surprised with the osteopath. I've got another appointment booked. And then um, I think I will get, if I don't book subsequent, I'll get reminders, you know, like how you're doing. And I'm pretty sure that's, it will be done through Trustpilot, just a sort of gentle, hi, hi. we're still here, how are you doing kind of thing. Yeah. No hard sell, not annoying, not spammy, just you've used us, you haven't used us for a while, you know, remember where we are kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's really, I think if you're in the sort of business that would benefit from that, so you could be an osteopath, you could be an online retailer. Yeah. So it, it's worth taking a look and seeing how you could even just use the free version Yeah. and, and leverage that for your business. And it's not just about um, getting reviews to entice new customers. It's how you can actually maintain those customers that you've got. Yeah. Ooh, retention and recruitment. Ooh, yeah, I've gone full circle. We have, haven't we? Oh, I thought you were going to say something then, but you just whizzed your mouse around. No, I was just, no, I was, no, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> okay, so that marks the end of episode 202. And we still don't have an outro, so this is it. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. <laughs>